You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We have the uh, kind of final version of our crossover episodes with the Locked on Cardinals podcast. You can follow them on Twitter at Locked on AZ Cards. I'm joined as well by Alex Clancy, uh, the co-host of the Locked on Cardinals podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Clancy's Corner. Uh, follow the podcast as well. They're doing great work over there. Alex, it's good to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm great, Blake. Dude, it's, uh, I'm glad we finally got this working, and uh, I'm enjoying this the, the crossover season, as it were. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, with everything going on in the coronavirus uh, epidemic that's happening, or pandemic, you can say, uh, it's good to be able to at least have a little bit of consistency. No other sports at least are around. The NFL draft is um, uh, about a couple of weeks away still, but we've got plenty of football to talk about. There's always football to go over. Uh, so, uh, Alex, we want to bring you on. Part of what I wanted to do is there's so much talk that's been going on about who are the Cardinals going to take it, A, analyzing the moves they've made on the roster. Um, I want to try to take a few topics that haven't been talked about to be able to go over just for a little bit more of unique content. Uh, the first topic being, are there any of the moves that the Cardinals did not make? Like, uh, let's say, hey, you didn't sign a right tackle, or hey, you only signed like a one-year deal for an inside linebacker. What are you going to do next year? You didn't re-sign Patrick Peterson or Buda Baker to an extension. Uh, for you, what is the biggest move that the Cardinals and Steve Kime and Adrian Wilson did not make this year that you wish that the team would have made or something you're expecting them to make? I mean, the glaring one, obviously, as you mentioned, is is right tackle. I mean, there were a lot of guys, Brian Balaga, Jack Conklin. I understand that the money aspect is obviously weighted a lot more heavily w- with the tackle position now. I just feel like they didn't do enough due diligence where th- these numbers weren't astronomical, Blake. I mean, they, were, they weren't they were team-friendly like DJ Humphreys, but I'd much rather have had them sign a right tackle and then inevitably hopefully make the trade still for DeAndre Hopkins, and then you're wide open at 8 overall, and you have your, hopefully, franchise right tackle in place to bookend with DJ Humphreys for the upcoming you know half decade. So that's one thing that... I was kind of uh, weary about because you're going to have to spend money at some point, and why not do it when you have all of these right tackles that were free agents and not even take a real stab, not even be linked to one of these guys. And the other one kind of on with a uh, lower impact was tight end. I mean, you have guys in Greg Olson, Tyler Eifert, Eric Ebron, Jimmy Graham, Austin Hooper. Now, Jimmy Graham's old. He's overrated. I, I get all of that. He doesn't block. But in this scheme, you need as many pass-catching hands as you can have. Tyler Eifert has had injury concerns, but a lot of these names are very low impact, and you could elevate your tight end position astronomically from where they've been over the last couple seasons. So right tackle first, but also tight end is a need that they had to fill that they really didn't. Right, and I think that's one of the cases where you can look at whether it was Cliff Kingsbury and his system, whether it was trusting some of the guys they brought in. 
there really wasn't another veteran tight end that they were able to sign. For me, what I thought was interesting as well was they did sign an inside linebacker, Devondra Campbell from the Atlanta Falcons, but it was to a one-year deal, which had essentially small million-dollar deals pushed back for a lot of the following years, which in some cases we've seen Steve Kime be able to fit in a lot of guys under the cap by you know kicking the can down the road, but they really haven't done as much to invest in terms of a long-term inside linebacker, especially after the position last year. We saw Jordan Hicks solidify it some in terms of tackling, but for finding that coverage guy, you're kind of wondering at least, is this a guy who you can sign to one year and then extend for a bit later? But if he gets paid a lot in free agency and moves on and you don't end up having an Isaiah Simmons who falls to you at pick number eight, there's going to be a lot of question marks that you have there. For me, the other one that stands out is, you brought back um, your your number two cornerback from last year, and he didn't play the entire season. So you're really kind of just having to say, hey, we're going to have a whole lot of trust that we're going to be putting in at least um, to go across from Patrick Peterson. You're also trusting your year two player, Byron Murphy, who probably is more of a slot player at least for that one. If you do end up running into any sort of trouble, the fact that the Cardinals did not sign an additional cornerback to at least kind of hedge their bet – it's really curious. You don't want to be in a position, at least, where if you decide if there's not a cornerback, like we didn't talk about this on your Lockdown Cardinals podcast, if a Jeff Okuda does not fall to you at pick number eight, then you may be going into the 2021 season with Byron Murphy as your top corner and having to essentially draft or sign other guys to fill in those positions. It's really interesting to me, at least. I think you kind of take the Okuda stuff one step further. It'd be interesting to me if the Cardinals, if they got in a scenario where they were looking to trade back, I, I wouldn't put it past them to potentially even target another cornerback in the first round because these are all of the moves that the Cardinals have to make to manage their team effectively. Um, what they did do, at least, was sign a defensive tackle, an edge player, and they did trade for a wide receiver. Um, take that. Let's go ahead and at least say, was there a move at least that you feel like as far as the most glaring need or the move that wasn't made on the team that could tell you, hey, this gave it away. The Cardinals are going at this position at pick number eight. If there's one of those positions, which would it be, Alex? Yeah, it's so boring to answer it this way, but it's, it's still offensive linemen. I mean, Blake, they've had so many holes starting at the end of the 2018 season that they needed to fill. And I feel like giving Steve Kimes some credit, you're right. He likes to spread the dollar. He doesn't like to give too much money to one position, but he's done an above average job in filling the holes necessary to be a, a functioning and, and somewhat relevant franchise since the end of the 2018 season. He just did such a disservice to the future of this team by the few years before that, that it still looks like they're playing catch up. When, if you look at last year's draft, and I know the injury concerns or the injury with uh, Akeem Butler, you know, backed you up a couple steps there. As you mentioned, Robert Alford, Byron Murphy getting thrust into the number one corner position through the first six weeks. It, I think, in my opinion, it's a better situation than it looks. They're severely lacking depth. In, in most high-impact positions, I, I, will give you, I will give you that. But signing Jordan Hicks to be the Mike in, 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 in this 3-4 defense and having Buda Baker kind of come into his own out, a few years in, I feel like he's done a much better job at, since the end of the 2018 season than what it looks like on paper and in the win column because they had so many holes to fill. And again, depth is a severe concern through, for a lot of positions. But to answer your question, it's still offensive linemen. And I think that that's tipping, tipping their hand that 
for all intents and purposes, that's going to be an offensive tackle draft choice at number eight overall to sure that up on the right side. Gosh, yeah, it feels like if it's not an offensive tackle spot, then you're going to be looking at the 2021 mock drafts, which draft the day after, and they're going to have the Cardinals probably picking a tackle in that next class just because there's without a long-term deal that you have in place or a rookie, you are kind of going year to year at that position. And unfortunately you've been going year to year at that position ever since Bobby Massey left the team, which is interesting to think about. At least you flip back and forth between Jared Valdir, DJ Humphreys, Valdir ends up leaving. It's just been an area where the Cardinals have kind of been able to get some of their left tackle figured out, assuming Humphreys is able to put up another healthy season. But the right tackle spot, it will be interesting to see if the Cardinals do move in another way from that right tackle spot. That'll either tell you a lot about their confidence that they have in their tackles, or it'll tell you a lot about the player that they had to pass on that tackle for. Uh, let's move a little bit. We, we know that there's a lot going on with the current pandemic, the uh, coronavirus. We hope that everyone who's listening in to the Revenge of the Birds podcast here, uh, again, joined by Alex Clancy of the Locked on Cards podcast uh, for a little co-host swap, you could say. Uh, the coronavirus has meant that the NFL draft this year is going to be different from probably any draft, at least in the modern era of what we consider the NFL with all of the technology that we see, all of the television coverage. It's going to be a different draft than pretty much any year before it because every single team is going to be sequestered in their households. Uh, they're going to have the inability, at least from what the NFL says. Now, granted, maybe some team or two will try to you know, get around that rule. We'll see how that works out. But they're going to be in separate areas having to Zoom conference, uh, almost similarly how we're talking with each other, at least over back and forth. The question that I think a lot of people have is without visiting prospects, without being able to kind of go out to dinner meetings, uh, without even to have pro days or even medical guy, medical reports from doctors and team doctors to check a guy out, we're going to be in a weird spot where teams are not going to have nearly as much information as they've had before. And so I think the question I give to you, uh, Mr. Alex Clancy, is is that over-information, maybe like too much information where you start to overanalyze, overthink, and then you just say, oh, gosh, like we nitpick this guy to death. This is the problem here. You pass on him. He goes on to become a future stud. You're like, gosh, why did we put all that information in there? Or is this going to be an aspect where you're going to end up seeing a team swing at the bat trying thinking they can get a home run, and they're going to strike out because they're missing information. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think is the impact the NFL draft in this format this year could have on the Arizona Cardinals and their scouting process leading up to it? You know, it's it's such an interesting question, and the, the NFL draft is such a crapshoot, just as it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you obviously have your, your, your can't-missers, but for every can't-miss, you have a Tim Couch, or you have a Jamarcus Russell, or you have a – uh, you know Joe Burrow, or you know whatever. I, I'm I'm only kidding. But when it comes to Steve, <laughs> when it comes to Steve Kime, in my opinion, I think that one of the best parts about the DeAndre Hopkins trade is that he doesn't have a second round pick, and it's a situation where keeping it simple, lack of over analysis potential, is something that will benefit and behoove Steve Kime in this upcoming draft. I don't I'm not a huge fan of especially with his track record of Chad Williams is etc that oh you know let's trade back and get a bunch of picks no 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 let's keep it very simple let's pick where we're at unless obviously there's a a dream scenario where they can recoup that second round pick or something they that they lost in the new Hopkins trade but with Steve Kimes specifically I am over the moon on the fact that he only has so much information to crunch 
and so much time to think about just that set amount of information where there's no pro days, none of that stuff. Watch the tape, look at the combine film, and make your pick. I am over the moon that in this specific situation that Steve Kime has less information to go on than more. What about you? I mean, do you, do you agree with me? Is this are we are we in unison here? I think it'll really be interesting to see how it works out with the later picks. You look at a successful draft pick like a Rodney Gunter was only drafted by the Cardinals. They traded up for him because they went out to this tiny college in the middle of nowhere. They saw the ability. They got the guy. They got the player. He hasn't turned into a star on that aspect, though. And when you're talking about players who are there and available, with a lot of those things not there, to be able to have Kime not have to take a guy who, like you gave the example of glad that Kime does not have a second-round pick. I would think that the issue I'd have at least with that is in the 2016 draft, he didn't have a second round pick from Chandler Jones. And that's where the likes of Brandon Williams, who was a you know, running back turned cornerback and then Robert Kandichi, one of the worst classes that they would have had as far as pure draft is what happened when they didn't have one. They had less picks, less to go over and still somehow they swung and missed. What I think the key here though is, is, when you're looking at part of the reason why the Cardinals have missed, uh, Kyle has said himself that he believes it's the play, it's the person, not the player. I think some of it is that you get guys who come into their uh, their organization, they come in at the visit, they get to sit down for dinner on their best behavior. You look back at what led them to draft a guy like a Robert Kandichi or even to draft a Josh Rosen after trading up for him. And I think there is an aspect of that personal interaction where the Cardinals can probably talk themselves into a thing or two and be like, hey, you know what, this guy, this question, we know that this is a great guy. We'll talk to him. We'll take him in. We, this is a guy who fits us. I think being able to just have to rely on the tape and the more serious uh, the more key measurables that you have, the information that you know, and having to essentially play it safe for a draft. I think that's going to be a huge boom for the Cardinals this year where you're not going to see as much of the rolling the dice. And I, I, I'm fine with you passing on a potential John Brown if you're going to be taking a guy who's going to be much more of a steady, consistent player because this team cannot really afford to miss on some of their other draft picks moving on. If you miss on you know an entire class like the Cardinals did in 2016 – We've already seen how that set them back almost an entire year just because they had to bring in another cornerback to start across, and they still haven't been able to find an impact defensive tackle. Yeah, I mean, everything you're saying is true, and listen, I get it, and every so often, I'm sure you have to do this too, we have to give the disclaimer that if 2018 didn't happen, they wouldn't have Kyler Murray. Like, I get all of that, okay? But let's, in this day and age of Steve Keim, who looks to be improving by the day, um, I agree with you. Later round picks is going to be something that you're going to obviously you need to do a little bit more dive, deep dives, a little more of a deep dive for people in the later rounds. The fourth round pick they they acquired from Houston, etc. Steve Kime, when he had all of that tape and film, wasn't able to wasn't able to manufacture guys that would even some of them didn't even make the opening day roster. So it's such, again, a crapshoot that I would rather take a home run swing with less with with less film, less everything, and if he hits, cool. He'll look like a genius, and if not, it's, it's business as usual. The third and fourth round pick of this year's draft, as you mentioned, are going to be paramount for the next several years of this team and this franchise. And if, if they want to get into double-digit wins again, Kyler Murray is arguably – the most important player in franchise history, not named Larry Fitzgerald, in an effort to potentially be a Super Bowl-caliber team. And every moment that you waste of his rookie contract is a moment that 
is again paramount to the future and, and potentially winning a Super Bowl. So, as you said, this this year you cannot flub this draft, and I think with less information rather than more is 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 very very good for Steve Kime executing that. Yeah, speaking of Steve Kime, one of the things I wanted to talk about also was what is the number one thing that the Arizona Cardinals need to fix? And here's kind of my opinion on this. I and we'll see if you disagree. I don't think that it's a position that they need to fix. I don't think it's a coach they need to fix. I think it's a mentality of holding and elevating star players to a point higher than they should be valued. Take a look at this every single year with Larry Fitzgerald, $11 million a year, $11 million a year. Finally, with a DeAndre Hopkins, you can afford to move off of Larry Fitzgerald next year without having to pay him so much money. You can afford to move off of a Patrick Peterson if you're able to draft a replacement or be able to bring in someone who's a corner. I think the question, at least, though, is are the Cardinals focusing so much that I'm bringing on the star players because they don't have a history of winning that – they end up kind of hurting themselves by trying to be able to like, hey, like we're going to go ahead and put this Chandler Jones, even though he's a lot older, we're going to continue and extend him, even if it does seem like they're slipping. What I at least appreciate about the Cardinals is maybe with this David Johnson trade and getting him off of the books, even just two years after he signed his new deal, maybe that's starting to turn the corner. Do you think that that's an issue, or do you see that there's another number one thing that Arizona needs to fix as far as they are concerned as an organization? Yeah, you know, that's a really, really poignant and interesting point. I agree with you. I, I, I've caught a lot of flack over the last, especially last season, where I think that they overpaid Larry Fitzgerald. And it's not something that people want to talk about, because, oh, no, 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 it's Fitz. He, he's he's, he's the, uh, the president of the state of Arizona. We, we, we Give him whatever he wants. If you could somehow, and obviously this isn't the case, it's one year, $11 million. That's Larry Fitzgerald's going rate, and it has been over the last couple seasons. What if he took $5 million and you could sign another wide receiver to play alongside him last year for one year, $6 million on a prove-it deal? That was constantly going through my head. Why are we giving this guy so much money every year for, we're paying it backwards here. He got a $100 million contract years ago. Larry Fitzgerald has made a lot of money in his career, and because he's a leader by example and not by rah-rah, it, it, like he's not a Ray Lewis. He's a he's a just, I'm going to lead by example. I'm going to be Larry Fitzgerald. I'm going to be the toughest practice player you'll ever see. I'm going to work harder than you. I'm going to work out harder than you. I'm never going to do anything wrong. Cool, but for some reason, that doesn't necessarily translate into earning more money when you're not a rah-rah guy. It doesn't necessarily make sense, but that's kind of how it's been, and I completely agree with you that the David Johnson thing may be the cornerstone for the change of how much money these guys get paid. And I listen, I completely agree with everything you said. You asking me that question, it's trust on the defensive side of the ball. That is something that was severely lacking last year. It was obviously a lot of new pieces, a lot of young, a lot of old. Patrick Peterson jumping in after six weeks. Jordan Hicks trying to supplant himself as kind of the the heart of that defense in the middle of the field in the 3-4 scheme. Buda Baker starting to come in from over the top, kind of becoming a silent leader there. Byron Murphy getting torched. Robert Alford not being there. Really no interior defensive help. So there were a lot of things that were going against the team last year. And defense is all about scheme and instinct and trust. And if you don't have trust, your instincts are off because you don't trust the guy next to you to do their job so you can't do your instinctual best. And that's something that, in my opinion, is number one surefire. They need to build trust on that defense or they're going to be towards the bottom of the NFL again. 
Yeah, I would agree, especially when you're looking at a lot of the players who are defensive guys who have left the Arizona Cardinals. Um, the obvious name that sticks out from this is Tyron Matthew, who essentially was kind of razzed on the Cardinals organization for how he feels he was treated. And you know, he, he got hurt, he got injured. The Cardinals at least gave him about two years or so and then wanted to move on. He's since gone on to win a Super Bowl. I, I, it's hard to be able to find a lot of hard feelings, at least for the most part, for both sides is clearly there was a needed break. But uh, like you're talking about reestablishing trust, I just think of Patrick Peterson where the Twitter would kind of, on Cards Twitter was awash with all sorts of, oh, what's going to happen here? Because Peterson changed his background. He changed his profile picture, was not Cards related. Going into this year, a lot of that has been returned. So some people like, is there more trust that's being built within the organization? Is Steve Keim showing with the moves that they're making that they are wanting to contend and be able to uh, put together a solid NFL franchise? If that's the case and you can get those guys on board, I think you can be a lot more optimistic about the Cardinals in their future. Uh, as we wrap it up and head off, at least for uh, wrapping up this kind of shorter version of the Revenge of the Birds podcast, um, one of the things I want to touch on, at least, was, and this is kind of uh, my co-host tweeted this out a little while ago. I listened to the part of the podcast this morning. Uh, Matt Miller, NFL Draft Scout, he's one of the guys who at least puts out a lot of content there through Bleacher Report. Um, he basically believes, from what he's hearing, is that Derek Brown essentially is the guy for the Arizona Cardinals at number eight. Uh, it seems like it would fill a need for the Cardinals for a defensive lineman. They signed one in this offseason. They probably needed to sign at least two. We talked a lot about, uh, in your Locked On Cardinals podcast, about the need for an offensive tackle. We even talked in this podcast. Do you think the Cardinals if they chose to make a defensive playmaker, would be making a mistake by passing on a offensive guy to help Kyler Murray? Or is that the answer to fill in maybe what one of the Cardinals' biggest needs might be? I mean, Blake, they're in a very precarious situation where legitimately majority of positions, outside of obviously special teams, kicker, punter, you can make a case for it being a great pick and an awful pick. Aside from offensive line where that's kind of the – the staple here, you need an offensive lineman to protect Kyler Murray. Any other position, you could make a claim where it'd be taken positively and negatively. So Derek Brown, I watched a bunch of film on him. The dude has twinkle toes. He is violent uh, in the middle. Like I, I think you could use so much help on the intent, as you said, at least one more guy from the interior to the defensive line just to get some sort of pass rush with a guy not wearing Chandler Jones's jersey. So they're going to come to it. There's going to be a crossroads here in the draft because things get crazy. Tua, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, maybe Jordan Love there. We don't know who's going to be taken early. Tristan Wirfs will probably be gone before the Cardinals pick. So you may have to choose between Jedrick Wills and Derek Brown. That's going to be the choice the Cardinals have at eight. And I don't think... There's a wrong choice there. And I know drafting Kyler Murray, I get it. We've talked about this on the Locked On Cardinals podcast about Isaiah Simmons and Jeff Okuda possibly falling in fantasy situations. In a real situation, they're going to have to choose which side of the line is more important. I do think that Jedrick Wills or whatever offensive lineman is there still is the correct choice, but you could be passing on, again, another transcendent talent Yet we thought that Quentin Williams was the number one choice last year, and he right. didn't. He didn't really have uh, cause a lot of waves there positively with the Jets last year. So again, when it comes down to it, people see names that they are, become recognizable a couple weeks out of the draft because everybody's talking about the same ten or twelve guys, 
unless you watch tape and believe that that tape on the defensive side is better than that tape on the offensive side, which is so completely counterintuitive to make your decision. It's, it, it's, it, it's really confusing. I would just say offensive line is offensive line is offensive line, regardless of how great Derek Brown could possibly be on the inside. Yeah, definitely agree. Hey, that's going to wrap it up for us, at least here on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, we'll be having a bit more draft content coming up for you guys next week, obviously, with the uh, NFL draft continuing as planned for the same dates and same times. Although John and I weren't able to make our Vegas trip, at least this year, given the coronavirus, we'll have a few uh, mock drafts, kind of some other kind of last analysis that we'll have. And then uh, leading, we'll have plenty more coverage of that for you. And then we'll see where it goes as far as with this entire offseason, this summer with everything. I want to thank you again, Alex, so much for, um, you know, you're part of the, one of the people who helped set all of this up, at least for that one. I was glad to have you on this podcast. And uh, I think at least most people can see what Bo may say, at least for all of that different stuff like that. I don't think there's any complaints that anyone would have about you coming on. Today, He's such so a jackass. Appreciate your time. Yeah, no, Bo and I have a have a have a love hate relationship. I'm 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 right. And he and he sounds better on air. So I, I don't know exactly which yeah. which you'd rather be. Yeah, not as much maybe love than in the love-hate relationship, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, thank you guys so much again for listening in, tuning in to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. You can listen here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Radio. Uh, you can also listen on Google Play Podcasts, um, even on Himalaya, iHeart, or any of the other podcast listening platforms that you use. Uh, thanks again. We'll check in with you guys next week. In the meantime, go Cardinals.